Welcome to South Carolina Launch's CEO podcast, where we hear from CEOs on their entrepreneur experience. So our guest today is Jack Neal, CEO and founder of Hank AI. Welcome, Jack, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Um, I'll start us off with just a kind of an intro question as you and I have, uh, have worked together for a few years. Just can you walk us through your story and sort of the journey of Hank AI? Uh, mission, your vision, kind of how you got to where you are now. Yeah. Um, what do we have? Thirty minutes. <laughs> right. so, uh, I'm trying to try to keep it under. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it started as a computer nerd, programming stuff in high school, and always wanted to start something, but never had sort of the um, what words can I say on this podcast? I don't know. I'll use safe words. Um, never had the gumption. To, uh, jump out and really do it um, until you know ended up going to med school um, and then afterwards started this company really to solve more things than like I could solve with my own hands you know it's just uh, technology scales so well that if you can solve you know, if you can solve problems you, you can help you know millions of people if I just do anesthesia you know which is my training I can help like one person at a time so it really is a way to scale you know the help that I can provide as a person. And so, you know, kind of from that gumption and the fact that I just love writing code, <laughs> like love writing software. Um, so, you know, we, we started as a machine learning system that was, we were looking at kind of reducing some of the, um, you know, the, the, the screen time at work, trying to reduce the digital labor, um, you know, automate things, that, you know, whatever you could. Started in the revenue cycle in healthcare, um, found that they were, Kind of from there, we kind of keep diving down. So we found problems beneath that that we needed to solve before we could scale the original thing. And we've kind of gotten all the way down to the point where now we're almost like in this sort of content content services platform area, which is a way that like you store data, you extract data, you make it queryable. We kind of all the way down to the bottom layer of healthcare data. So, I mean, our goal is to reduce the cost of healthcare, reduce digital work, and all the good things that will come around with um, having people spend less time on the screen at work. It's really what we're after, big picture. Okay. And you started initially, right now it's medical coding. Where do you see the company continuing to go? Where do you see the future of the company? Yeah, so I mean, we've kind of already, you know, kept diving underneath the medical coding space, right? And we've already, we, we dove down into the document extraction space already because in the medical coding, we, when we're doing that, you know, people wanted to hand us PDF or notes, you know, text notes, different things that really, you know, when you're writing a machine learning system, you need certain, you know, it has input vectors, you have certain fields that need to come in for it to be able to predict out of. And so when you're handing strange formats, it doesn't, you've got to solve the first problem and nothing on the market could solve it. So we did. And then it turns out that in and of itself is probably a bigger market than the first one, right? At least at the moment, the market readiness for that one is actually more hot than the automate the coding piece. Um, you know, it's still, that's still a place we're going, still building, but actually the go to market, the, you know, the sales cycle right now, we're really pushing more on, you know, the, the, the underpinning, the document extraction, data organization, that, that part. Um, just, we didn't have a plan for that, but the best way to make plans is don't make them. Uh, well, sometimes you're right. There's those things, you, know, you end up having to pivot and uh, some things fall into your lap. Like, it sounds like this one really made a lot of sense. Yeah, it helped that we um, you solving your own problem. Sometimes you realize everybody else has that problem, which is basically what happened. Right. Um, 
how and I'm intrigued because um, you're let's say your your background is is unusual. Tell me about the sort of the journey that you went through as you're a pediatric anesthesiologist, and and yet as you mentioned, kind of your where your heart is is in coding. How do you get go from a pediatric anesthesiologist to becoming a successful entrepreneur? What's that journey like? And then what do you what do you think of as your greatest challenge? Yeah, I think if I remember back when I was four years old, I said someday I'm going to be a pediatric anesthesiologist and then start a tech company. So it was kind of <laughs> just my life. I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah. no, I mean I, you know, I would have probably never done medicine if I could have got a job writing software in 2003 at 19 years old in South Carolina. But um, there was no such jobs after the dot com bubble, so I was kind of forced to pick something that was more stable, I suppose. Um, and that was medicine. So that's how medicine, I didn't know anything about medicine, nothing. I didn't even know about residency, I knew absolutely nothing. So it was all a big shock whenever it kind of came. And then uh, unfortunately for the medical community, they let me into medical school for some reason, I don't know. Um, and so, uh, but along that whole time, I kept writing software because I was his favorite thing in the world. Um, and so that's kind of how it happened. I just always knew I was going back to it, right? My whole, everything I planned, once I got into med school and went down that road further, yeah. um, the whole goal was to pick a place in medicine that would allow me to earn an income doing that, but actually just enough to be able to focus on what I actually want to do with technology. So, I mean, I really, the anesthesia was perfect. Anesthesia, ER, there's a few specialties where you can kind of carve out, but, you know, it's hard to do in primary care because you got people who want to see you. You can't say, oh, I work four days a month you're like uh i don't ever want to you're not my doctor anymore um but as anesthesia you're shift working so it doesn't matter can you think of any um just what what really as you prepare going from a, a doctor a physician to an entrepreneur what's that transition been like and how that's kind of your past experience prepares you for what you deal have to deal with today the stresses kind of the everyday life of an entrepreneur um yeah i mean yeah in, in a in a slightly comical but true way, you know, if, if I've got trouble with a quote customer at work, right, you just push the drugs faster and they fall asleep. Um, if you have it with, with a customer as a company, it's not quite yeah. the same. They're not going to go to sleep on you. Um, so, you know, you have to learn, I think, I think the, the people, like the managing of people, I mean, you, you do some of that in healthcare, but at a different scale. It's just, it's just a different, a whole different ballgame in trying to align all the pieces because also in healthcare you know if you provide a service what it's going to be paid and it's a much more stable thing right i know if i see a patient i get paid and basically in healthcare there's always enough demand for services that i don't have to worry our patient's going to show up so you have that stability you don't have to think too much about strategy if you're a provider you just see people and get paid once you get out of that you have to think about a million things i mean you have to organize things around people reimburse you know you know work, you know, recruitment, you know, salaries, equity, you know, strategy, who's going to beat you, you know, in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, you know, if you, the moment you prove something's reasonable, somebody else is going to come along and do it just like you and better than you if you're not aggressive. So, you know, a little bit of it's going from that nice, pleasant doctor attitude to being like slightly more aggressive, not hostile, but um, ruthless, I think, is a little bit maybe the word um if you want to win and especially high growth high tech yeah well very true i mean there well definitely there's a this is not for the meek um the starting a company and growing a company 
um, how kind of where where you are with your company, where you you've taken a couple of rounds of of funding, of which we've been fortunate to participate. Um, kind of talk us through where your company is and what kind of counsel you could give to fellow founders of tech companies on some of the challenges that you that you really have faced as you grow your company, whether it's capital, whether it's just organization, talent, all the above, um, just so they can get a sense of uh, where you are and, and where you're going. Yeah, I think, you know, it's tough because I think each situation is different, you know, kind of like selling a solution. It's hard to say exactly yeah. what it is to you see it. But um, I mean, in general, I think the most important things are, are be scrappy, right? Be hungry, um, surround yourself with smart people. Um, and we don't all have to be the smartest, but at least hard hustling, you know, high grit people. Um, you know, find people who compliment you. Don't find yes people. I mean, the more yes people you have around you, the more likely you are to jump off a cliff together. So um, try to get somebody who's going to tell you that's a cliff before you <laughs> walk off it. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, it's a challenge to have those type of people where you, you, you know, it can cause friction, but as long as you're all in it for the same purpose, which is to build a great company and a legacy that lasts, you, you get through it. So, um, and it's, it's helpful. So like for us, um, we, uh, you know, right now, you know, we, we ended up buying a services company to sit underneath us um, because it helped us a lot when it came to brand recognition, you know, we're an AI company. So, there's, some, there's, there's a bit of a long runway until the point where your, your AI is valuable, right? So if you're trying right. to sell it for automation, it's not worth anything until you reach some threshold of goodness, right? It's just worth nothing. It's not worth something. It's not like a bad cupcake even. It's no cupcake. So, um, you know, until it reaches that point and, you know, so, so that takes a while. So, so up front, you know, the services helped us with revenue. Um, it helped us keep defining our product market fit as we started looking at how to implement this along with people to benefit from augmentation and automation. Um, and then long term, the reason that, you know, our, our, we're kind of pivoting from trying to grow, quote, services as of, in and of itself, which means like right. true, like coding, auditing, like the people based services. And we're doing now that the tech is much more mature. It's never mature, but it's more mature. Uh, we're able to start focusing more on selling tech-enabled services, ones where we can affect the margin with our technologies, or pure tech, right? Pure API calls, SaaS calls, things like that. Um, yeah. You know, making that transition, the reason the services are important to us to maintain, because, you know, investors do not like services. Right. <laughs> they want you to have enough of a customer service rep and developers. That's all you can hire. Um, but in right. this case, the reason that's important is because before our tech, you know, traditionally, if you're building an API of some type, right, you build it, um, people use it, if, they, if it's not working for them, they, they leave, right? And that's called churn, right? And you right. Know, they may never tell you what's up, what's wrong. But by us using it every day with our services, we hear about it. Trust me, we hear about it. Um, <laughs> whenever something's not perfect. Yeah. So uh, it helps us build a better product and reduce churn long term. So... I think it helps if you're an AI company to have some division of use your own product. Um, I think you make a better product. Well, what, what you're doing, I mean, I really want to go down this thread because this is something that I've seen with, with other companies where they've developed the core product as a services offering, and then they're essentially morphing themselves into software as a service because that's exactly what the investors are looking for. They're looking for the higher exit 
the payables on on a software company that does license fee, you know, annual recurring revenue. How how difficult has that been um, to you? And what what's your counsel on other companies that are doing that? They're taking a services approach, learning, and then still building software as their as their venture product. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the approach, you know, it's, it's chicken, you know, chicken or egg, it's one way or the other. I mean, whether you're a services company and tries to add tech, you've got a set of problems or issues or things to overcome. If you're a tech company that adds services, I mean, the hardest part for us is we're a tech company first, and then we added services because we needed to, and there's all the benefits and reasons why we did, and we'll keep it. But right. the hardest part was, you know, tech tends to be scientific almost, right? It tends to be, we're building this thing, we're getting this you know, metrics, we're looking at, you know, speed, if it, whatever, it's, it's much, it's more, you know, zeros and ones. I mean, what tech is zeros and ones, but I mean, even like where you're going is true or false, yes or no. It's very scientific. Once you add services, it is a different culture, right? And it, yeah. that is a hard culture to mesh with technology. I mean, services typically, do you expect that if you pay for a haircut and then six months later, your barber calls you up and says, ah, I got a better haircut. I got a better haircut now. Uh, we've upgraded your haircut. You know, it's an update. You got an update to your haircut, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that doesn't happen. You get your best haircut at the time it's delivered, right? Tech's right. not that way. You get a usable haircut and it's going to get an update and then an update and then an update. Right. And that can be incredibly hard to manage is the two different expectations around what the product is. Service wants perfection and tech yeah. wants to get it out the door. And if you wait to sell it until it's mature, you run out of money. You'll just run out of money. So um, that's been challenging. So it might be easier. That part's probably easier if you come from a services background and ad tech because it's your choice. But my guess would be if you're, and I've not done this, my thought, and again, I could be wrong. This is not my wheelhouse, but I would worry if that was the, the way it was going, you're probably going to build a technology that mimics your service offering and isn't really a technology. Um, if your service is, we fill out these forms for all of our patients or whatever it is, we fill out a form for all these things and we fill out these forms really well. And then you hire tech to build it. They're gonna build you a form thing, right? right. They're not gonna think, how is this a software? How can we optimize it? I think you're gonna make a, maybe a better fit to your service and the way you do it, but it, probably going to be overfit to you and maybe crappy. Um, I mean, that's not the life I live. I live tech first, but I feel like that would be true. Well, you, you said a, to me a, a really important point because I think that there, there are a lot of companies out there that look at building the ultimate product as, as that's something they have to do today. And I think what, what I heard you saying, and you confirm us, is you've got to be able to build what you believe is the right thing to do for your clients and get it out there and, and deliver it and then listen to what your clients versus spending a ton of money delivering something that you think is what the market wants. And then you, you may find out very differently uh, once you get it out there. Right. Cause you might stay in beta for five years and come out with, you know, you finally come out at GA with a perfect product and guess what? Right. You ran out of money. So you ran out right. of money a long time ago. Right. So like, what's the point? I mean, like, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, if you if you want to live it, I mean, I bought a Tesla about a year, six months ago or something. If you want to oh. live this and like the highest risk, highest space, well, most well funded, brilliant, get a Tesla and get pay for the full self driving and see see what it is, right? It'll kill you, it'll wreck you in a heartbeat, <laughs> but 
but you're in the loop and you're trusting that it's getting better because of what I'm doing, right? And so you take it, you take it and they're selling it, right? I mean, that's it. You got to do that. You, I've been, I used to not feel that way. I used to hate when somebody rolls something out and I'm like, this isn't a finished product. I would be like, you idiot. Right. Like, why didn't you wait until it was ready? But it's different now that I'm on it. I realize exactly <laughs> why. Because you have to. You just have to. And you're never done. You're never done. It's never no. a finished product. The moment you have a finished product, you better be innovating another one because somebody else is about to uproot that thing. So you can never be done, just by definition. Well, those are every founder that's lit, that will be listening to this. Mark, mark those words, because you're exactly right. I don't think you are ever done. You're, you're always enhancing, changing the product, tweaking it. Uh, for your customers. So um, that's sound advice. And if you're done, somebody else ain't done and they're about to uproot you. So <laughs> that's very, that's very true. The, the minute that you think you've got the ultimate product that is perfect for your customers, somebody else comes along and, and either develops another one and, and comes out with a tweet. Um, yeah, I always remember when it was a Steve Jobs, it was saying, well, I'm going to develop something, but I'll tell the customers really what they want because they don't know what they want yet. Um, and, and look at what the iPhone has done and kind of what it's morphed into and, and developed. So. And I think he was also the one, I think Steve Jobs was the one who said, if you, if you don't cannibalize yourself, someone else will. Um, I don't know, maybe that's an old folklore, but I mean, it is sort of, you know, the true yeah. statement, and, you know, you better be taking your own customers from yourself or else someone else is gonna. Well, yeah, that's true. And it's always, I guess you're, you're, always, um, you're always innovating. So the, the minute you stop yeah. innovating or you're and dying. Stop growing, <laughs> you're yeah. dead, right? How, yeah. so Jack, what, um, with your company, what would you, anything else that you think of that you would want to kind of tell fellow founders of technology companies that they should do and things that they really shouldn't be doing? What advice do you, would you give to them? Oh, that's tough. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I guess I've learned my lessons. My lessons are, you know, um, culture is really hard. Culture is the hardest thing. Culture is easy if everything's perfect, right? I mean, like if yeah. it's a sunny day and, you know, there's mimosas, culture's easy, you know, everybody's like, this is great. Everybody's like, happy. How could I be sad, right? Yeah. But not every day is sunny in a startup. Most days are not. So like maintaining that you know you know being able to keep seeing that mirage of the mimosas and the sunny day out there you're like trying to keep that and you can't keep it for so long until you start having it every now and then right so i think making sure you're making progress um towards your goals realizing your goals are going to change you know every year um you're going to find hopefully you're finding new opportunity because if you had it all figured out from the start that's confusing to me um i wish i mean i wish that was I pray at night. That's how it was, but it's not. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, I, I think that's, that to me is the hardest one. And then from a, from a early on funding and stuff, I mean, I, mean, I, I did lots of projects and I, I think before you take money from an investor, before you take someone else's money, you should be careful that you really are committed to whatever it is you're doing. You can be committed and fail. And I don't think the investors will hate you. Um, if you're not very committed and you're, you're wishy-washy on it, but you manage to tell a good story and get some money, that money's precious, right? Someone else could have used that that was yeah. a little more committed to their idea and a little convicted to their purpose. So if you haven't reached that point where this is like in your soul and it's been there for a minute, I would, I would, I would, I, I would, I would hope 
that people would spend more time kind of inner working towards it. Um, again, this was the first company I ever took money to run and I had 50 projects before this, as you probably remember, <laughs> of different things I you know, thought were great ideas, great businesses. I couldn't come up with a business model. And then like, this was the one, right? This was the one I did. But um, I think that's it. That's it. And find mentors, um, find people who've done stuff before, talk to them. A lot of people, if people try to take your money up front. If you ever get a mentor who's trying to, I had some of this, I guess, to be aware of, is if you have people who want to help you early on, and part of that help is a kind of aggressive thing around equity or payments or other, you know, trying to get paid for it. There are a lot of great people who've been through things and they just want to help. So I would argue against early on, do not take the type of help that costs you stuff. That's not the right kind of help, in my opinion. Um, they're just as likely to just try to get a chunk and then you didn't know you gave up a chunk and stay away from convertible notes because you're not worth what you think you are. And when they convert, you're screwed. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's the yeah, well, you gotta say on the flip side, it is hard. You, you've got to be able to somehow figure out what your value is. And then once you hit that, then, uh, then you got to stick with it. So that you're right. Um, how, um, so la last question, I know we'll make sure we, uh, we wrap up what, within what, what SCRA does for you kind of how, uh, what we do within the community, what has been, what in your minds when you think about how we've been able to help you achieve your objectives and the impact that we've had, um, tank AI. Yeah, I think the, um, when, when we first started, I mean, the very, before we came to SCRA or anything, we, like, I went and we toured up in Boston and out in California, but I mean, we went to, you know, Google Ventures, Microsoft Ventures, Jackson Square, Union Square, I mean, all, all these places, you know, tour, you know, talk to them, that, and all this stuff. Yeah. And then we came back home. <laughs> like, well, you're in the Southeast, you're not, you know, um, the pretty duckling, um, you know, in that world, when you're early, you might be later once you've got a history behind you on spreadsheets, but when you're early with ideas, you're not very well respected. Um, you know, being in the Southeast, it's just a true yeah. statement. Um, and so after that experience, I like, I think I was talking to my brother-in-law and he's like, dude, like find some more local who can help you. They're local investment things like find local. They care about local, go back local. And so that's when we started even looking local. And that's when I saw, found out about SCRA as, you know, something that would help with some of the early money funding to kind of get things going. Um, yeah. And we pulled that together with angel investor money. And so that was very helpful having the capital there, having, you know, being something, you know, SCRA is not a, a ventures, a venture group, so it's, they don't necessarily take board seats and do all that stuff. And so that's helpful. You maintain control. You know, I don't have to give up control. But I still get some degree of structure around the investment. So the other investors might be, quote, you know, dumb money or family and friends who don't know what they're investing in. And they're just, you know, they haven't put any scruples into you thinking this through. And they just are like, ah, that's cool. Here's some money. So I think having that, but, it, you know, I feel like a theory's done a good job of not being too over the top in, like, you got to have it all figured out and have your five-year projections perfect. And, like, like venture would push you a lot more on that. Um maybe versus doing none of it, which would also be a mistake. So I feel like that's good. Um, I do, and you know, we've talked before, um, I think the connections to local stuff, uh, to local leaders trying to help find product market fit could always be better. That's something that um, I think that y'all are working on is trying to help figure out how to make that process work. Um, and I think that'd be a big help to local startups in, in sort of that connection to local leaders, local, um, even leaders necessarily, but just local companies. Um, to try to do pilot studies and other things with. 
Well, you raise a really good point. Um, and thank you for the comments that, um, that the community, the sense of community that we have to build so that people understand how you've been successful and then sharing that and mentoring those companies is critical. Now, you're right. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And probably one of the reasons you just won the award that you just did with the uh, with Honey the Elephant that you got passed, oh. right? They have to show that. Yeah, one. nice elephant. Yeah, the <laughs> elephant. I mean, I think, you know, one thing that I hear, and this is how I live my life. I mean, I've never, ever done something for somebody expecting something in return. It's, yeah. I don't have transactional relationships, right? It's not a give first, right? I feel like there's a lot of push these days to give first, but it, the definition of give first means receive second. And I think that in and of itself is against the whole premise of give. So I think yeah. what you do is you just, you know, you have something that's helpful to someone you give, maybe you give 20, 30, 40 times in a row and never ask, but someday it comes back, right? I mean, it'll come back, you know, right. I don't know. It's, it's not transactional. I, I hate that relationships, you know, sometimes get treated transactionally. I think they're, they should be deeper than that. Um, I just, it also makes me happier, right? <laughs> have better relationships than the big, I like this person because they can give me something. Um, I mean, or gave them something, so they'll give me something back. And so that's just my thing, right? I mean, I just love, I like people. Um, you know, I like people who try. I don't like lazy or mean people. That's the only people I don't like. Everybody else I like. Well, I say we. I wish we had more people like you that really feel like they they've got to give back because um, that that's that's exactly what you just described is the type of community that we need to develop. Um, well, Jack, I, I really thank you again for being our guest today. It was great hearing the story about Hank AI, um, and I really look forward to seeing your success in the future. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, Lee, for all y'all support, and uh, we wouldn't be us without you. So, appreciate it. <laughs>